Hello, and welcome to the Abundant Life Church podcast and sermon archives. If you would like more information about our church, you can go online to alcalabaster.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you, and please enjoy this week's message. And I'll be reading from the Amplified Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a very precious treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again, then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field, securing the treasure for himself. Today I want to bring you the thought of the treasure is in the dirt. Treasure is in the dirt. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would anoint your word. God, anoint us to hear. God, touch someone's life today with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, it's not by might, it's not by power. It's by your spirit. You can change lives. You can make crooked places straight. (laughs) You can make the bound free. Lord, we praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I believe we all have talents and abilities that are useful in the kingdom of God. And I believe that God blesses you and I with different talents and abilities to assist us not only in making a living for our families or being productive in society, but I believe that God blesses with those talents to be used in the kingdom of God for His glory. I would like to present three examples of people who possess great abilities, but they had to overcome some things in order to be used in the kingdom of God. I believe in giving credit where credit is due. Brother Randolph and I, he spoke to me a couple of Sundays ago after my sermon and kind of dropped a thought about how that God uses people when they feel like they are least qualified to be used. I believe that God has to take all of me out of me in order to fill me with Him. Amen. I believe that God has to sometimes break us down to raise us back up to be productive members of His church. And He can do amazing things through people who are not hung up on how great they are. I believe that humility is the best tool to be used in the kingdom of God because it's not about me or my talents. It's about Him and His power. And when people see God use somebody that is humble, that is looking for Him, then they know that is not that person's ability because they've stepped outside of their comfort zone. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that moves in the life of someone. And He does more in five seconds than you and I could do in five years. Moses was the son of Amram of the tribe of Levi. He was born in Egypt during the period in which the Hebrews had become a threat to the Egyptians just simply because there was a bunch of them. The Egyptians had the Israelites or the Hebrews slaves and they were doing what they told them to do. But God blessed his people in the midst of a bad situation. God can bless you in a famine. God can send rain and crops in the time of a drought. God is not content. His his blessings are not contingent on the situation that I am in because God is not, he, He is the master of the situation. 
So the children of Israel are bound. They're, they're in Egypt. They have nothing going for them except they are reproducing. Because God was raising up a people that was going to be a threat to the Egyptians. And I believe that God needed a man to lead these people. Now the Pharaoh had ordered all the newborn Hebrew male children to be cast into the Nile River to drown. That was his solution to a God problem. <laughs> God's solution was, you can plan all you want to, but God... His plans are bigger than my plans, and his ways are above my ways. So Pharaoh could plan all he wanted to to staunch the growth of the children of Israel. But God said, I've got another plan. So Moses was born, and as a male child, he was supposed to be cast into the Nile to drown. But Abram and his wife, Jacobed, took their newborn baby and they placed him in a waterproof basket. And if you look at the Hebrew word for basket, it is the same word that means ark. It's used twice in the Bible, when Noah built a boat and when Moses' mom built a, 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 a basket that she waterproofed to put her precious cargo in to hide him in the, the reeds of the Nile River. Meanwhile, Moses' sister Miriam hid among the, the, the weeds to watch over the baby boy. And a group of women and servants were bathing nearby from the Pharaoh's uh, uh, castle, his house. And Pharaoh's daughter heard a baby cry. She found and rescued, pulled the baby out, named him Moses, which means drawn from the water. And her desire for a son was fulfilled, and she made certain that Moses had the best of everything, including education. So look how God works. Not only is Moses' life spared, but he is taken into the house of Pharaoh. <laughs> as a Hebrew in an Egyptian society, and his stepmom takes the boy, educates him, gives him everything that he needs. So not only is Moses not destroyed, he is lifted up in the most unlikely of circumstances. So Moses is brought up in the splendor of the Egyptian courts. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was... He, he was, he was proud of his Hebrew roots and he shared a deep compassion for his kinsmen and, and, and he had to flee into the desert after he killed an Egyptian master who was beating a Hebrew slave and he became a shepherd for Jethro, a Midianite priest whose daughter he would later marry and while tending the sheep on the backside of a desert thinking that perhaps he would never see his family again, never be lawfully elevated to the position that he had came from, yet he was willing to give up the castle and take on the wilderness to be in God's will and to be with the people of God. Don't ever question the position God might have you in today. He might have you on the backside of a wilderness trying to teach you a lesson so that you can be used to deliver a people. <laughs> While he was tending the flocks in the wilderness, he saw a bush that was burning but not being consumed. And he heard a voice from the bush telling him that he had been chosen to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. 
Now then, here comes the point that I want to make in this sermon. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, then Moses said to God, listen to this, Behold, when I come to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your father, our ancestors, has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, you shall say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Hang on a second. Some of y'all are trying to get ahead of me. Hmm. The phrase translated I am who I am in Hebrew is Ayah, Asher, Ayah. And the word Ayah is the first person common singular of the verb to be. It would be used in any number of normal situations in English, such as saying, I am watching the sheep. I am walking on the road. I am his father. However, when used as a standalone description, I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent on anyone else. His plans are not contingent on the economy of the United States or the economy of the world. God stands by himself alone with all power. He doesn't need to form a committee to decide what he's going to do today. He doesn't need a plan of action to put something in motion. He is God and he is God alone. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need my input. He is God. And when he said, I am, he said everything. I am the creator. I am the father. I am your savior. I am your healer. I am your deliverer. When you say the name Jesus, you have said, I am. And the I am is in the room today. And the I am can take care of your situation today. The I am can fix a broken marriage. The I am can restore ruined finances. The I am is in the room today. (laughs) He promises, I will be, I am. He is the eternal constant God. He is sufficient in himself to do what he wills, to do and accomplish what he wills to accomplish. When God identified himself as I am who I am, he stated that no matter when or where, he's there. It's similar to the New Testament expression in Revelation chapter 1 and 8. They sang about it today. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is, it, who, who is to come, the Almighty. Mm. Hold that New Testament thought that linked up with the Old Testament thought. I'm going to get there in just a second. After this encounter with God, after the rod, the leprosy test, Moses still felt insecure and flawed. Imagine that. A man who had the best opportunity. The man who graduated from the best schools. The man who lived in a palace with plenty. A man who never wanted for anything, yet when God calls him, he feels insignificant. I hope we see a pattern start to develop here in just a minute. Amen. It's ironic that he had all of this stuff going for him on the outside. 
Yet on the inside, which is what God sees and judges us by, Moses felt inadequate. He said, I'm not eloquent. I'm not fluent. my, My speech is not what it needs to be. But I believe Moses learned very early on it was not his education, thank you, and abilities that would get his people delivered. It would be through the power of the Almighty God. And Moses realized very early, it is not going to be how well I can speak or how many lessons I have had on leadership. It is going to be through the anointing of the Almighty I Am. It is going to be through the anointing of the one who can deliver. In Acts chapter 11, Peter had a vision that after being repeated three times, revealed that he was called by God to go out of his comfort zone. He was about to embark on a journey that was going to take him to the Gentiles and reveal the plan of salvation that was originally meant for the Jews. Now then, let me paint the picture real, real quickly. Peter was not just some run-of-the-mill man that God chose. Peter was the disciple of the disciples. Peter was the one who walked with Jesus. Peter is the one who knew Jesus probably in ways the other ones had not. Jesus reveals himself to Peter. Peter looks at the revelation and, and Jesus says to Peter, up on you, right? Through you, I will build my church. So Peter was not the rock. He was a rock on the rock. (laughs) Amen. And the church is built on the rock, Jesus Christ. That is why nothing can come against the church and be successful. You can make all the laws you want to to annihilate the church. It has been like that since day one. And nothing has successfully derailed the church. Amen. I saw a news article the other day. People don't agree with what the church teaches. Amen. So now they're threatening, we will just do away with your 501c3 status. We'll take away your tax-exempt status, and then we will give you what you need to preach and teach. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking for trouble. But if I survey God who is contingent upon a 501c3, then we're in trouble. We need to find another God that has more power than a tax code of the United States. You can take away whatever you want to, but the church will still stand. The church will still stand. The kingdom of God is not contingent upon the rules or regulations of a man, but it's contingent upon thus saith the Lord. And you can't bind the pulpit, and you can't bind the man of God. You've got to hear something somebody that is willing to preach the truth regardless of the cost. So listen to this. Peter was the one who had been with Jesus very closely. He was with Jesus during his teaching sessions and his preaching sessions. Peter saw the miracles. Peter had walked on water. Peter, the qualified one began to doubt as to whether this was going to work out for him or not. Because Jesus was saying, Peter, you need to get out of your comfort zone. 
Come on, somebody stay with me. I'm going to ask you to go preach to some people that you consider beneath you. <laughs> I'm going to preach to us where we are. He said, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to take the precious gift of salvation to people that you've been taught all your life are not worthy. That are second class citizens. And Peter resists, and Peter is resistant, and the vision is three times, and finally he acknowledges this is from God, and then Peter is willing to go. Listen to this. Peter had preached the first message on the day of Pentecost. He had seen 120 field. He had seen 3,000 field, 5,000 field, and then finally there's such a number of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, they lose track of the numbers. They can't even track it. He sees the people so committed to God and His church that they're selling everything they have and bringing it to the church and they're so consumed with evangelism they're taking the word of God everywhere this is the same man who did all of that but yet is not willing to teach a home Bible study <laughs> amen brother Randolph it wasn't going to be a convention it wasn't going to be a gathering it was just simply one man his house and whoever he invited to his home and God is saying, Peter, go to the house of Cornelius and teach a Bible study. Never discount small things in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Never look at the situation and say, that's beneath my calling. Let me preach for just a second. <laughs> Never think it's not behind the pulpit with me wearing my suit and all the lights on. It's just simply a house with a family and God is saying, take the message to them. Don't worry about the situation. Don't worry about how unworthy you feel. Don't question the motive. Just go when I tell you to go and see what happens. And Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, a group of Gentiles, and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, this is for you. And Cornelius says, what hinders us? And they were baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost that day in the house of Cornelius. And from that spot, the revival fires to the Gentile nation is still spreading today. And you and I are here because Peter went to the house of some people that were not worthy to hear the message. And he preached to the Gentiles. And we are here today. People were hungry to hear the word. And God chose Peter. In Acts chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And relentless in his search for believers. Went to the high priest. And he asked for letters of authority from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any men or women there belonging to the way, believers, followers of Jesus, the Messiah, men and women alike, notice the wording in the Bible. He could arrest them and bring them bound with change to Jerusalem. Saul was a seriously flawed individual. Amen. He was an educated Jew. The Bible in one spot identifies him as the Jew of the Jews. 
very highly educated, very highly devoted, very, um, very antagonistic in his belief. Let me use another word, very materialistic in his view. If he saw you and you didn't line up with what he thought you should believe, then he would do something about it. He was convinced he was doing God's work. He was a fanatic persecutor of Christianity. Yet on the road to Damascus, with the ultimatum waiting on Christians, men and women alike, notice this, and I'm going to spend just a little time here because I want to draw two different parallels here. Can I do that and present it from two different perspectives or points of view? He was stricken by a bright light from God, and it blinded him. And he asked, Paul, Saul at the time, asked these words, Who are you, Lord? Capital L-O-R-D. Okay? Now then, notice the words, who are you, Lord, the question. As a Jew, I've already built up Paul's or Saul's resume, right? Jew of the Jew, Pharisee of the Pharisees, educated with all of the theology, right? Grew up, cut his teeth on Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's where Paul was educated. He went to Yale Divinity School. (laughs) Paul's wall of fame would shame most people. Yet he is asking, who are you, Lord? Capital L. Notice the response. As a Jew, he knew there was one God and one Lord, and he is asking, who are you, Jehovah? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. (laughs) There will come a time in all of our lives, I preached about this a few weeks ago, where we will stand squarely in the middle of an intersection. There will be a crossroads in our life where truth will be revealed to us and it is up to us as individuals to accept it or reject it. Revelation to Saul led to transformation. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I am talking a real encounter with Jesus Christ and walk away in the same condition you approached in. It is impossible to meet God and to leave unchanged. That does not work because God always transforms when he touches somebody. Saul knew who God was and he knew who Jesus was. Stay with me for just a second. I'm going to put it all together. He knew who God was. He knew who Jesus was because he knew who Jesus was with his teachings and with his actions. And he was convinced this man is a blasphemer. He is an imposter and I'm going to stamp out his followers. 
But on the road to Damascus, he knew who God was and he knew who Jesus was. But up until this moment, he did not realize they were one and the same because God put it together for him. And he said, Saul, Saul, it is I who you are persecuting. I am Jesus. And after the revelation came transformation and Saul became Paul. And he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the then known world. He was literally a one-man missionary force to every country in the world. Amen. And he attacked the enemy with the same zeal and fervor that he had attacked the church of the living God. Now then, I promised I was going to make a parallel application. I will do that now. Saul had a bad reputation. He's converted, and now he is going to the same people he used to torment. See, we like to take the Bible and sanitize it. (laughs) Clean it up. Come on. But what kind of reception do you think Brother Paul got when he walked into some churches? The same man who's on the wanted poster in the prayer room. And we're saying if you see this man, you need to run the other way. If you see this man, for goodness sakes, don't utter the name of Jesus because he has permission to take you and bind you. That is the man. Yet he walks into a service and he says, brothers and sisters, I am here to declare I used to be fighting against the one that you are worshiping, but I have been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now I am one of you. Parallel application. The church had to accept him. Amen. (laughs) I'm not talking about the man that might just be a different nationality, speaks a different language. I'm not talking about it goes much deeper than that. The man... Who stood by, and the Bible says when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church, there was a man named Saul standing on the outside who approved of their actions and was even holding the coats of those stoning Stephen. I hope this puts this all in a different perspective now. Yet when he comes to my church, what am I supposed to do, Brother Randolph? Open up the pulpit to the man who stoned one of ours. Because because when Jesus changes somebody, he changes their life and he changes their direction. It's not up to me to try to figure it out. It's up to me to embrace the change that God has made in someone. It's not up to me to try to clean them up. That's God's job. It's not up to me to try to qualify them. That belongs to God. And God said when he comes into your town, welcome him. He is a brother. And if you will follow the ministry of Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, evangelized the world, saw many converts, attacked false doctrine in the churches that he had established. And every time 
that he faced difficulties in his life. He was not looking for an escape route, but he just simply said, God, I'm not worthy to suffer what you're putting me through. If it's, if it's them throwing rocks at me or, 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 or beating my back or locking me in prison, I'm not even worthy to serve to, 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 to suffer that. Look at what you suffered for me. And Paul wasn't looking for an excuse or an out. He just said, I'm going to take the gospel. And if it costs me my life, so be it. If I live, that's fine. If I die, that's fine. And he uttered the words I have learned in any situation I am in to be content. I've had a lot and I've had a little, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I've been abused and used, but I'm still standing. I'm going to try to bring this in for a landing. Sometimes the talents and abilities of others are hidden beneath the dirt because our thoughts and our emotions are buried inside of a human body made of dirt. Often I fail to see the miracle in someone else's life because it's hidden by what I see. And sometimes, let me preach to someone, I feel this very strongly today. Often we can't reach our full potential in the kingdom of God because we know the dirt that's covering up the talents in us. Because God sometimes calls the most unlikely to do the most. You know why? Because God sees what you and I can't see. All I can see is you today. All you can see is me. Amen. I was not always an outgoing personality. I grew up as the shy, backward kid in school. I grew up as the kid. My mom and dad... For whatever reason, my birthday is October the 8th. Back in the dark ages, you could start a child in first grade when he was five years old. Back in those days, school started the day after Labor Day. I heard someone complain, maybe it was Olivia, the teacher, complaining about the air not being cold enough or something. I'm like, what? What is air conditioning in a school? We started in September. Anybody remember how hot September is? How about October? <laughs> started out that way, didn't it? Like, will this ever end? Guess where we were in school with the windows open, stirring the hot air. So my mom and dad started me in high, uh, started me in. Uh, elementary school, first grade, five years old, five years old. So I was always the youngest and the smallest in every class. When I graduated from high school, we graduated in June. I was 17 years old when I graduated. I had to wait till October to even enroll in trade school because I wasn't old enough. Thanks, Mom and Dad. 
They could have held me out and then I would have been the biggest. <laughs> right? The oldest. Praise God. Amen. High school is the best six years of my life. Praise God. <laughs> Some of y'all get that in a second. But you see, when God calls you, He's not basing that calling on what you know about yourself. I've seen him use shy backward people as mighty preachers and teachers of the gospel. I've seen him turn people with very limited musical ability who were willing to apply themselves to the kingdom into a force to be reckoned with with a microphone. You know why? Because God knows the talents that are buried in the dirt. And God knows He can't get the talents without the dirt. So He willingly gave His life for you. And He willingly bought the field because He knew there was treasure in the dirt. But the only way you get the treasure is you've got to pay for the dirt. So when you came to God, you brought all of your insecurities, all of your sins, all of your past with you because it would not work any other way. And when you came to an altar and repented of your sins, He forgave you and washed them away. And now you are a new creature and He can receive the talents and abilities that were hidden from others because He was willing to pay the price for the field. The treasure is in you. Church growth is in you. Praise team is in you. Preachers are in you. Teachers are in you. And mighty men and women of God are in you. We've just got to be willing to allow God to use us. Let me leave this thought with you. When we are at our weakest, God is at his strongest. When I feel like there is no way I can do it, then God says, yes, you can. Do you think Paul ever got discouraged? More than likely. Do you think Paul ever regretted his past? More than likely. Do you ever think he thought, God, you, have, you, you chose the wrong one? Peter, for all of his rambunctious and, and type A personality and outward appearance of having it all together, I believe deep down inside Brother Randolph, he was still the fisherman at the edge of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus Christ said, will you follow me? I don't believe he ever left the seashore mentally. Because when he thought, I've got this accomplished, I believe somewhere in the back of his mind is what would you have been if Jesus hadn't found you? Do you think Moses ever got tired of leading people? Absolutely. He got fed up with his followers on more than one occasion. <laughs> He's done the best that he could do. God has performed miracle after miracle, yet the people 
end up wandering around in a wilderness for 40 years because of unbelief. These same people who walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. I'm preaching to everyone right now. The same people who walked up to the Red Sea and they looked left and saw water. They looked right and saw water. They looked dead ahead and saw water. They looked behind them and there's a cloud of dust with the chariots and the horsemen of the most advanced army on the face of the earth coming right at them. And they walked through on dry ground. God destroyed their enemies. That same people. Got tired of the menu. That same people complained because we don't have enough water. That same people complained to Moses. And notice Moses' response because God came to Moses and he said, I'm going to kill this ungrateful people and raise me someone else up. God got fed up with them. And Moses approached God and said, you can't. Because what will our enemies think of you? Because their gods, when they displeased them, they believed bad things happened because I displeased the gods. And Moses said, God, you are the true God. You can't do that. They'll mistake you for a pagan God. Let them repent. Let me talk to them one more time. Let me talk some sense into them. God, you can't destroy them. Notice the, notice, notice the parallel there with us today. How many times do you think God has said, wait a minute, I've given you everything you need, yet we are still hesitant. And someone in our lives intercedes for us and says, God, you can't. Use them in your kingdom. God, don't destroy them. They are still usable. Can we stand together today? Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to www.alcalabaster.com. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so that you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and have a great week.